Welcome to Cats and Rats Podcast, covering your Florida Panthers. Hey everyone, and welcome to our newest episode of the Cats and Rats Podcast, episode three. We have a special guest here. Uh, this episode, we're going to get to that in just a second. But uh, first, let's go to my co-hosts, Cody Stevens and Nick Levine. Cody, how's it going? It's going pretty well. I mean, Panthers still cruising along. Had a had a tough game uh, the last time out against Carolina, but that playoff type atmosphere that's something invaluable. Love the game from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I mean, if those teams go out in the playoffs again, anything less than six or seven, I think is they're doing a disservice to us and and hockey fans. Yeah, Cody, that's one of my favorite games that you can see in the regular season. I know it's a zero zero game, but it had everything in it. Um, Offensive scoring chances, which we're going to get into later here today, goaltending performances, um, you know, a little playoff grit and intensity, some big hits, uh, some perseverance by the Panthers as they lose Matthew Kachuk and Gustav Forsling in that Carolina game. As of the recording of this podcast, we don't have a report, but that could be a good thing that maybe they're just both day to day. But yeah, that's my style of hockey. I love that the game and, you know, the Panthers lose it late, but what can you do? Carolina gets one on us that they probably thought they could have had one or two of those last spring in the playoffs. So let's see if the Panthers can kind of regroup uh next matchup against Carolina in yeah. March. So how's gonna, it going? Yeah. Cool. They were going to get one eventually on us like that. So I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. now than that than later. Yeah. Nick, how's it going? It's going very well. How are you Kirby? Not bad. So you guys were hosting, uh, Twitter post game X spaces for yes. the Ottawa game. And then we all kind of convened together after the Carolina one. So yeah, just yep. quickly, what are your thoughts here? Panthers of late. Um, I'll give my brief thoughts on the Ottawa one. I don't think we played um particularly well um, in that one. And I think Paul Maurice in his post game press conference um said the same thing. He has to be happy with the effort in Carolina though. It's an unfortunate result kind of staying a little bit no doubt but uh i can't look at that game and be upset with that that's a game you can replicate that's the game we're gonna have to play down the stretch into the playoffs if we're gonna want to win yep and and i kind of disagreed with you guys a little bit on the ottawa game but you guys were um lock and step with uh paul maurice there that it wasn't one of their better games but i i really think i've been happy with all of our games since post all-star break going all the way back now to december 18th the last row game they had lost previous to the carolina one which i was at in calgary all these road performances, you can't really complain one way or another. There's been a couple home stinkers along the way here and there, maybe the game against St. Louis there, but you're going way back to that one. So even in these losses, I've been pretty pleased with the Panthers. And again, um, you know, winning streaks come to an end here this year. Uh, you know, the road record will have to wait another time, another season. But again, it's something that the Panthers are able to build on. And even through some of these tough losses, these close losses, they're able to build on that. But Gentlemen, let me introduce our first guest ever to the Cats and Rats podcast, a voice you may be familiar with, be it at the rink, may it be on our Twitter X postgame spaces, or even now at the beginning of our podcast, the voice you hear at the beginning of our intro as you as we come in on air here, um, Mr. John Acosta. How are you doing, John? Hey guys, I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to be on this show. I think it's uh, one of the go-to Panther podcasts out there. But beyond that, it's just a great community, great group of guys. And yeah, man, it's been uh, it's been great. It's been great, man. Thanks for having me. For sure, John. And 
before we kind of go round table here in a little bit and talk about the Panthers of late and the season, um, people often come to me and they talk to me about their origin stories, how they kind of found us um, within the community. And, uh, and you've told me it a little bit off air in the past, but so many people tell me, Hey, Kirby, this is the time that I joined you guys in post game spaces. And uh, one of the big ones was the Matthew Kachuk uh, blockbuster trade night. My, co-host that night was our girl Lex that you're familiar with John and of course Cody and Nick are as my co-hosts and Cody and Nick were also in there that evening as well as speakers I think that might have been Nick's first appearance on spaces if I'm not mistaken it, um the Kachuk trick yes it was right so I, I don't know if that yes, dates it was. To a, yep. it was yeah I don't know if that dates to around when you kind of came in John but if you just want to quickly kind of tell the audience what uh, your story was of kind of connecting. And yeah, us. no, absolutely. You know, what? I can't really pin, put the pin on exactly when was the first time that I listened to you guys um, on spaces. I, I do know that the first time I spoke was beginning of last season. And I, I want to say it was uh, right after the Philadelphia Flyers game. That was the home opener. Uh, it might have been later on in the season, but uh, in any case, yet yeah, for sure, the Matthew Kachuk trade was probably where I was like hooked. At that point, you know, I don't think anybody else was doing spaces at that at that level or whatnot. So it was uh, it was really cool because number one, you know, it happened that trade happened in the middle of the night, and so you're constantly trying to find ways to, you know, consume uh, content on what was going on. Right. And, uh, no, I tell you, that was a, that was a huge experience, a great experience because it's just, you're, you're people are reacting to the stuff that was coming out, uh, in real time. And like, you didn't know what the overall trade details were. And, and I remember like in that spaces, the details were coming out slowly and surely. We just knew that in the beginning we had traded for Matthew Kachuk and uh, part of that trade was Jonathan Huberto. But, like, as the details started coming out, you know, it was just really cool to see the live reaction. And that's, like, that's one of the things that, you know, I've always uh, I've always loved to see people's live reaction to things like that. I remember even in this past offseason, some of the free agent signings and how, you know, some of the reactions there. That was, it was just really cool. But, yeah, no, sports bring people together. And, uh, you know, this Spaces community has been – you know, really awesome, um, you know, just to talk to, I mean, it's opened up a, a new world of uh, networking and, and friendships with folks that, you know, I would have never had the opportunity to. And I know, meet. John, you talked about, to me before, becoming just a listener. You were doing a lot of your music editing, um, some anthem edit work, however you would want to phrase it. And you came in eventually as a speaker. And then when I saw you come in as a speaker, I was like, wow, like a Panthers anthem singer is in here listening to us. And yeah. you were you kind of got the ball rolling on that where, you know, people from management and from the Marlins and different walks of life started to find us on these the spaces community. I think you were one of the first ones that kind of had a visible name within the community and, 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 and in general in the Panthers community. So I kind of just That's wanted so cool. you to... Yeah, I, it was awesome for me. And I always look back at that as a really cool moment. But before we kind of dig into the Panthers, I just want you to share your kind of anthem origin story, how you 
came about being one of the main voices of the Florida Panthers that everyone hears sing the national anthem before puck drop and maybe a, maybe a cool story or two as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the overall origin, like I would like to tell this amazing like God type of story or whatever, but really it was simple. I, I was scrolling on Twitter one day and I saw an audition link um, that the Panthers were holding to, you know, have uh, anthem singers. And I remember always having some type of feedback, comment, whether positive or negative, or a reaction towards you know whoever was singing the the anthem prior to game. So I, when I saw the link, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and do this. Let's see what happens. And I wasn't truly expecting that everything that has transpired over the last year and a half or so to happen. It, it really it was more of a let's see what happens type of a thing. And and I remember recording the audition video, which was just me in a Panther jersey, you know, singing the national anthem. And then I get an email back. It's like, hey, can you uh, also do the Canadian anthem? And mind you, I did not know the Canadian anthem back then. Um, so my process was, and, you know, me being a professional musician, singer, my process to learn a song is I sit down, I write it by hand write the lyrics down by hand. And as I'm doing that, I kind of memorize it um, both melodically and lyrically. And so I send them back the Canadian Anthem uh, audition video and basically was told, yeah, we're going to keep you in mind and uh, we'll let you know prior to the beginning of the season um, whether or not we'll invite you for an actual audition in person. And so then I get the invite to go in person funny story about that is I was so late when I tell you I was literally the last person in the uh, audition area and what was funny is that I as I'm driving and mind you I, I live in West Palm which is about a 40 to an hour drive uh, to the arena and what ended up happening is as I'm driving I'm like I'm literally going to waste my time taking this drive because the audition is at 6, and it's 7.30, and I'm still driving. It's all about so commute I'm, time down in South Florida. I've learned that. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> if he left it's, on it's time, he miss. would hit work hour, so that wouldn't have been good either way. <laughs> oh, no, and that, that was exactly what happened. I mean, there was accidents. There was rain. The roads were wet. It was raining. And, you know, in Florida, in South Florida, when it rains even a little bit, Everyone people forgets just how all to drive. of a sudden forget. Exactly. They all forget how to drive. My favorite. So anyway, uh, I mean, driving yeah, with their emergency flashers on. Yeah, absolutely. Which is totally illegal, by the way. Uh, in any case, as I'm driving, I'm literally telling myself, I'm literally wasting my time doing this. And I kid you not, as I'm having this thought, a truck with a giant American flag drives right by me to my right. And I'm like, okay, I guess that's a sign. I'll just keep driving. And mind you, that happened in Boca. And so I figured, okay, I'll keep going. As I'm getting closer to the arena, same thing happened. I'm, I start getting negative to myself. I'm like, this is going to be the biggest waste of time. It's going to be such an embarrassment. I'm going to get there, and they're going to tell me I can't audition because the auditions have already passed. And I kid you not. Like, what are the odds of having another vehicle with a giant American flag clasped to it drive right by me? And at that point, I was like, okay. I'm not going to continue with this negativity. I'm going to show up. I'm going to see what happens. And hopefully, you know, it works out. I get there. I park. I parked in the wrong place. 
as I'm walking up to security, I finally get shown into the way to get in and whatnot. I get there and I am literally the last person uh, there. Now, mind you, they still hadn't finished with all uh, the people that were auditioning. So there was, from what I, from what I remember, there was about 150 people there. Not all of them were auditioning. Some of them were families. I think there was a total of 50 people that were auditioning to be on the rotation of, you know, the Florida Panther anthem singers. You know, there was people with saxophones. There was people with uh -huh. guitars. There was people, you know, just going in there to sing and really good singers. So I, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not like, uh, a sh like, I guess, shy about my abilities, but like there were some really good singers. In any case, I get there and it was great and it honestly worked down worked out pretty well. And uh, you know, next thing you know, I got called in for a preseason game. That went well. And then they called me up for the season the home season opener. And uh and at that point it was just uh on a basis of availability. Like I would get called and hey, we had this person cancel. Can you make it? And uh I remember I think Cody, you said recently in a in a episode how uh the best ability is availability and that that was kind of like the process that i took it and uh for yep. the mentality that i had with it and and that was it you know just trying to make myself available and and uh eventually led towards being in a playoff game and then another playoff game which happened to be the most important uh playoff game uh prior to the win that we had in the stanley cup final well, game four against uh, but Carolina. Yeah, having been there for the game for Carolina was just an incredible experience, you know. So, yep. yeah, and be, beyond all of that, it's just all the friendships, the networking, the connections that I've, mm -hmm. with folks, you know, it, it's it's opened up a whole new world that I just did not have access to or just didn't know of, you know. So it's it's just been it's been really really fun. I, I know, John, we're going to have you back on like around playoffs, post playoffs in the summer, just to share some stories alone that you experienced last year on the miracle ride to the Stanley Cup final and, and the new memories that are going to happen here in the in the near future, because now we're going to get into some Florida Panthers roundtable talk. This is what the feel is like in postgame when John comes on and we have other speakers on. So we're just going to kind of free float here for a bit, kind of talk about our feelings on the Panthers, are we feeling good? Are we apprehensive about some things? Well, you know, coming up to the deadline, we're going to get into that later in this podcast episode. Some more trade targets that we shared with you last episode. We'll share some new names this episode with you as we go along here. So I just kind of want to throw it around the table here. This is what we do in the post game. We usually break down Panther games as they're happening uh, in the post game, and then we'll go through like deep dive on how the Panthers have been playing around the NHL and things like that. But Nick, I'm going to throw to you first. So wherever you want to take us with this the, this Panthers team, I know in a, in a little bit here, John, we're going to go a little deeper dive into goaltending. Or when I throw it to you, John, we can even start to get into the goaltending uh, um, position there, as it's been really strong this year. But yeah, Nick, where where are you going to take us here? Um, so thank you very much, Kirby. John, just want to say. Um... Uh, been a pleasure getting to know you over the last year and some unbelievable so stories there, obviously. And Kirby, I completely agree with you on the memories moving forward because this is a team to really be excited about. Um, there's been some, the last season was a season of up and downs, right? But I think this is, in my opinion, the most consistently good Florida Panther season in franchise history in all aspects. Um, 
particularly offensively and, de- and particularly defensively. Um, just to throw out some stats here, I'll go from the start of the new year, January 1st. The Panthers are 15-4-2, and two, um, which for points percentage is third in the NHL. Um, in this span, they're averaging 3.8 goals per game and only allowing 2.1 goals per game. They're actually allowing the second least amount of goals per game in the NHL. And the power play, a very controversial subject in our fan base, Kirby, Cody, <laughs> on, as you know, is number one in the league in this span. Um, oh. that's and, re- a- and remember, Nick, I said if we're top eight or top ten, I will take that. I said that at well, the beginning of the season. And you just showed numbers right now, split numbers, but where we're the best. And then this season, we've been as high as, what, fifth, sixth in the league? Right now, currently, for power play percentage, we are six in the NHL. And it's kind of incredible to think because there were, like, I think it was like 10, 15 games in the year. We were bottom, I think it was like 25, 24, something around that. We were really bad. And to be all the way to six now is unbelievable. Well, I do think that is incredibly important because, number one, five on five, we know we generate a lot of chances. But as we saw in the Carolina game, you know, we didn't really get, we didn't get one past Kochekov. You're going to need the power play to pick up some of the slack offensively. If you can't bury one 5v5, you're going to need your power play to give you some energy. And I think it's important that the power play is cooking on, on, on all cylinders. Brandon Montour has been playing exceptionally well of late. Um, and uh, I know Sam Reinhardt has cooled down here post all-star break, but just overall, the components of the power play are coming together really well. Um, another factor that I wanted to, um, talk about was the penalty kill. And this is something Kirby I've been talking about on spaces for the last, what has it been year plus, right? Uh, um, feels like five years, but yeah, yeah but, um, <laughs> this is, a, this is a, a key. Cause as me, as much as people have said, oh, the power play cost us against Tampa the season we got the series we got swept, which I do agree to a certain extent. I also think the penalty kill almost lost us the Washington series as well. Um, And I think that that in particular is something that was a key emphasis for Paul Maurice coming in. Like, for an example, right? Washington's power play, I think I have the stats right here, was at 29.2% in the six-game series. So... That's not good enough, as we know, um, for the Panthers to penalty killing. That we cannot allow that, and it almost cost us the Boston series too. Boston, I'm about to say, Boston was clicking at a bigger clip than us. Yes, like these series, even though we, I thought Boston was particularly our best series, that almost cost us because of our penalty kills. So having this penalty kill this year, lay the weight has been, and I know it got off to a rough start, and then it has that one off against Minnesota. The yeah. power play. But again, we're going to get into goaltending later with John. Yeah. Bob let in a couple there but, that he could have had. But There's the penalty other. kill is at 83.3%, which is fourth in the NHL. Um, and they're right behind the team that I have wanted them to emulate for the last year, and that's Carolina. We right. saw last year in the playoffs, Carolina was very over-aggressive in the penalty kill, and that cost them some. Now, Cody it, has a phrase that he uses a lot on our post-game show. But I when we play them, what is I, it, Cody? Watching, watching those two teams play against each other is like looking looking at a mirror. I mean, they're it's crazy to think that Cody that we yeah. are now that defensively sound. It, it, and 
I think that um, our penalty kill, obviously we've gotten incredible goaltending and we'll touch on that a little bit later, um, is we found a good balance between aggressiveness and discipline on that um, level. Um, we're not overly aggressive on the penalty kill, but we're not as conservative as we once were. And I think a big part of that is the mobility of our defensemen this year. I Coming into this season, Kirby, you remember the conversations we've had. Um, we were very comfortable with our penalty killing forwards. The big question was our penalty killing defensemen, right? Yep. And um, how they're going to look as units together. And I there. think... Obviously, Gustav Forsling's had an incredible season, but Aaron Eckblad has also had a bounce back yeah. season. And I think it, Aaron Eckblad's been the best when it comes to yeah. penalty killing. I Aaron know you guys Ekblad's, say stuff power play, 5v5. I think penalty Aaron killing, Ek- that's been his Aaron Eckblad has had a bounce back season, and most notably, how good he has been on the penalty kill, as you just mentioned. Nico Mikola yep. on the back end. These are defense. Nico Mikola has got the puck so many times and won 50 50 battles and cleared it and rimmed it around the ice, and that kills 20 30. 35 seconds sometimes there. Right. You know, and another point I want to mention is face-offs, right? So um, in last season, we know that the face-offs necessarily were not terrific. And I think Anton Lindell improved his face-off percentage as the season went on and into the playoffs. But as far as face-off percentage goes, we were 22nd in the NHL at just a shade under 49% in the face-off circle last season. This year for faceoffs, we're 10th in the NHL at 51.1%. So that was the biggest change. And I really think that GC Simple Plays winning the draw, clearing the zone, and just, you know, once you get the puck out of the zone on a penalty kill, it's very hard to get set back up again. I think that was the biggest key. We were losing so many key draws. And I remember mm-hmm. early in that Boston season. We were losing battles. We weren't yep. quick enough to puck, which Coyle, was our defense. Charlie Coyle was... Yep. Unbelievable in the face-off circle, and that was without Bergeron and Krejci. So, uh, I think that if we're going to want to have the continued success that we've had, we're going to uh, a obviously need to get this goaltending that we've been getting. Uh, number two, just keep generating these chances five on five. I'm a believer that these pucks are going to go in sooner or later. And then this, the other aspect of that is the special teams, both power play and penalty kill, have been tremendous this year. We're both. Uh, a penalty kill fourth power play six about Absolutely. as good as you yep. could ask for so it's just a crazy thought obviously with yep. where we've been the last two years but on each issue where we maybe we've been good on one on a, either the power play or the penalty kill for some point in time never both combined and i think that's a very scary combination yep. when you mix in this goaltending and the way we play five on five and our stylistic play as well. So, and I, and I think the penalty kill is very key with the division we're in Toronto's power play, Tampa's power play, Boston, they might not move it around like Toronto and Edmonton have in the past, but they're effective in moving the puck around on the outside and getting to shooter shooters and shooting. And Carolina has one of the top power plays in the league as well. So, so again, the Rangers are another one. If we're going to go on a deep run, these are teams we're going to face. So, Yep. It's going to be key that the uh, the penalty has to be on point. Cody, I want you to add anything defensively. We're going all around here, and then we're going to go to John for some goaltending uh, as John's part of our I mean, goaltending union. Speaking defensively, the guy – you guys didn't even name, like, the guy who's been arguably our best uh, defenseman in the last three games prior to the recording of this podcast. What, the name that I've been throwing around? What, Dmitry Kulikov? <laughs> that's my guy is it him <laughs> yeah i mean he's been playing out of his mind 
he's back to where he was with Mikola at the beginning of the season, Cody. Yeah, and I mean, back to Mikola, he's been doing great work with the puck, but mm-hmm. yes, he's he had he, he he's had three or four pizzas in the last couple of games. He skyrocketed yeah. the pizza leaderboards. He's now second. Yeah, he's got to clean up those turnovers against Ottawa there. There was another one with previous to that game, I believe. Yeah. And, you know, Bob's Bob's been saving the de- defense, whether it's a Mikola bad turnover pizza, as you say, uh, the first pairing with Forsling and Ekblad, guys getting behind them, bad pinches. Um, at times with the third pairing, I've noticed where, you know, they're losing puck battles and just getting worked over. And that's good that OEL's, uh, had a good year, but now that Kulikov's playing a little bit better, now that pairing isn't hurting us as much as in our own zone. And like you said with Monter, his weakness is is when he's stationary and can kind of get lost in his own zone and other teams that are good teams are playing that cycle game. So everyone kind of has their weakness on defense, but like when we get to John here in a second, it's Bobrovsky, it's our goaltending that cleans up a lot of those mistakes. But Cody, I'm seeing mistakes by the defense and I don't want our fan base to just think we're super elite we don't need to add anyone. Don't rock oh, the boat. Don't no. change anything. There needs to be change and adjustments happening. If and that's with personnel. Year, with personnel. If last guys. year proved anything, it proved that you needed depth. Not because what happened in the Panthers that got hurt. Did you not see Vegas? How deep they were, how the how, shot block. Unbelievably, how, uh, how much depth they had. All four lines were rolling. And that was part of the problem here. Of late, um, we've seen the fourth line get and I've talked about this a lot, 10, 11, 12 minutes. Now that's more than the fourth line would probably get in crunch time and, and down the stretch and into the playoffs. But th- that fourth line, Kirby, for us, was playing five, six minutes a night while Vegas's fourth line was playing eight and a half, nine minutes a night. That that adds up. And when you're going through this long grind yeah. of a season and you're playing your top players – that much and i'm not saying your top players shouldn't play the most they absolutely should but you need to have some sort of depth where you could kind of you know take the pressure off like the guys like barkov and kachuk and all these other guys because that's what vegas did that fourth line wore us down yeah Uh, yeah but let's bring it back to the defense here gentlemen cody and then we're going to go to john with and i mean the defense, all six guys are playing really good as a unit. It is eons better than what we had last year. But there we do need to, in my opinion, we need to add one more defenseman at Thank the you. trade deadline next year, plus one forward. Because for for those of you who are apprehensive about adding at the trade deadline, let me ask you something. I'll pull here's some guys from last year's trade deadline that were traded. And for the for right around the picks that we would have to give up in order to make some moves. Let's start with uh let's see. What about Vladislav Domestikov? Great two-way winger, could play center. He was acquired for a fourth round pick. How much better do you think the Pants would be if they had him on their lineup last year in the especially in the Stanley Cup finals? That makes a difference. And then you also have Curtis Lazar acquired for a fourth round pick last year as well. Those two guys may not be flashy names, but those two guys, when it comes down to it, when you need, when let's say someone goes down and they need, they, you are more comfortable with those guys stepping up the lineup than let's say Nick Cousins or Orion Lomberg. 
and that's why we need to add depth. And like, especially like if we lose a D, let's say we lose Mikola, we Mahara's the first guy in, and we don't have a Mikola replacement. What he brings, yeah, currently. But but let's say if we did, let's say we added the deadline and like okay, mm-hmm. okay, uh, that means Kulikov's our seven. So all right, Kulikov jumps in. Yep. You're but then lot. he's not going to be do as much as Mikola, and that's why we need a Mikola type guy that I'm big on, Cody, because we have Lucas Carlson that plays the power play. We have other guys down in the A that can log some minutes or play five v five. We don't really have that middle pairing Mikola type. If he goes down with an injury, who do you replace him with? Dmitry Kulikov? I don't think that's good enough. Yeah, but I think, like I said, that means you wouldn't want the guy that Nick's been clamoring for for the last five months. <laughs> yeah, Kirby, come on. Just say his name. <laughs> We've said him enough from the for, Philadelphia for the, Flyers. For those for those who don't know, we're mentioning Nick Sealer. Yeah. But I mean, Nick yeah, Scott. the defense has been beautiful. But like mm-hmm. I said, I just worry about the injury thing and the depth with, thing. Like with the trade deadline looming, we need to add. I mean, name me uh, the last Stanley Cup champion who stood pat at the deadline. You will not. You will take a little bit because Vegas they added Barbashev last year. In Tampa, who could forget uh, the Coleman, the Goodrow, the Savard trades? The Colorado with Arturi Lekkinen and Josh Manson. Yeah, all defensemen. There's defensive pieces there that you've mentioned across the board outside of Vegas. But Vegas, you look at what they had last year. At they defense. didn't need I don't. Anything. We don't have that, you know. Uh, we have guys playing really well. But, again, Forsley goes down. You can have Monteur step up and play some minutes, but he's right-handed just like Ekblad is. So you run into these different problems that you have if you lose guys within a series and stuff. And people are forgetting, like, we had guys banged up. They played through those injuries. But this year, that might not be the case. They might not be able to play through them. Then you're in trouble. I mean, what about a Kachuk leg injury? Broken the sternum. You can't play through that. Yep. And some of these guys, it's reoccurring stuff from last year that can pop up this year. So, you know, Monter off-season surgery, Bennett off-season surgery, Ekblad off-season surgery, different things like that. Barkov, he goes down from time to time. You know, the Kachuk situation that we're dealing with right now as well. So, you know, that that's the thing. I'm more worried about that on the defensive end, but we'll, we'll see, right? So, anything yeah. else there, Cody, on the defensive before uh, I mean, move on? All the guys are playing well. Montour started to get back that confidence. From last year, especially in the Carolina game where I saw him jumping up in the rush, trying to create plays. His shot isn't all there, but that could be due to the fact that had soldier surgery the offseason. That limits your shot. So that could very well be limited to it. And I mean I mean he you gotta work through the kicks like everyone else has, and I feel and I think he deserves that little bit of time. Athlet started to get back, jump up into the offense more, force like Forsley, like there's nothing more you could say about him. He's been nothing short of phenomenal this year. And then Mikola has been the the perfect Gudish replacement, except with a lot more size. And the bottom pair just continuing to be just uh serviceable. And besides that, I mean, mm-hmm. defense wise, I think Florida's in a good spot. But once again, maybe in a, a lot better spot if they added about one uh, one name at the deadline. Yeah. And we're going to get into that in a little bit here, guys, with our trade deadline targets. I think we're going to go around the table. We'll all have a name there. But uh, before we get to the goaltending position with Mr. John Acosta, I'd just like to let everyone know about Canesware. Canesware is more than a store. It's an experience. They have a huge selection of items for all your favorite South Florida 
home teams, items from Adidas, 47, Brand, G3, New Era, Fanatics, and more. Sizes for men, women, kids, babies, and even pets. If you're going to the game or watching on TV, only one local place to get your cat's gear. So get over to Canesware, located at 2655 South University Drive. Again, that's 2655 South University Drive in Davie, Florida. And of course, always open on pantherswear.com. Again, that's pantherswear.com. Canesware, the spot where South Florida sports fans shop. All right, we kind of talked about the forwards here and a little bit about the defense as we've kind of done a little roundtable discussion here. Now, one of the reasons I brought John on for this episode three, and it's great timing, by the way, um, how the Panthers goaltending has been this season. You could argue borderline exceptional. We've had a goalie that's gone to an all-star game, backup goaltender that is filled in for our once backup goaltender that is in Charlotte trying to get his game together and get his form together there on and off the ice. And our backup goaltender has given us a lot of good quality starts as well. And something that John loves to talk about when we come in is kind of the goaltending position, kind of the technique, what he's seeing out there. We've got some numbers to back it up. And I know Nick's got some there that he's going to throw our way. But again, John, what have you thought about the Panthers goaltending position as a whole? You can get into Bobrovsky, Stolarz, take this wherever you want to go. But it's been a beautiful thing this year. And I love that we're giving the goaltenders some love this year in our post-game spaces how they've really have at times led our team, you know, and I don't think it gets enough recognition on today's social media on, on today's hockey landscape. People are always like, well, if I didn't play the goaltending position, I can't speak of it. I never grew up in that era where if I, you didn't play the goaltending position, you couldn't speak of it. It's one of those things when the, the goalie voodoo thing that gets thrown around out there, Bob's progression from the time he came into Florida was, was difficult at points last year. He got yeah. it together on that major playoff run and he's kind of, continue where he left led off John here in the playoffs. And it's, I think it's due to like the defense that he has behind him. It's, it's, it's reminiscent of what he had in Columbus. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, just right off the bat with Bob, one of the things that uh, is a characteristic of his is just his sheer intensity as a professional, you know, his ability to work hard and set himself into the position, uh, not just as a professional, but, when it comes to saving shots, like his positioning is probably one of the best traits of his game as a whole. But yeah, no, the whole goaltender thing has been something that for me has been a passion uh, in part because I recently took on goaltending uh, just here amateurly beer league, you know, uh, which again, that's kind of like a double, du double positive, double negative, depending how you look at it. Beer league amateur. I mean, it's pretty much the same thing, right? But uh, no, the thing about uh, uh, goaltending is it's very foreign because, you know, like you said, Kirby, the whole concept of don't mess with the goaltender if it's good and, you know, not having the ability to speak into goaltending and just the sheer nature of just how volatile people's reactions towards yep. the performance of a goaltender. I mean, you got cases all over the NHL right now. I mean, I think Ottinger right now is going through a little bit of a slump with Dallas, and we all know what Otter, Otter, what Otter is capable of doing. But uh, the mental side of goaltending is one of the things that doesn't get talked enough about because really the mentality of a goaltender and the mentality of goaltending in general, it's just 
you're constantly thinking. It's probably one of the most cerebral sports positions in, yep. uh, to my knowledge. Um, I think almost at the same degree as a quarterback in football, mm-hmm. because a quarterback is doing ve- something very similar uh, that goaltenders are doing is that they're scanning the field of play. They're scanning their zones. They're scanning where they're going with the puck in goaltending is a little different because you're scanning the plays. You're scanning where your players are. You're communicating to your defense. You're communicating. Which doesn't get talked about enough, uh, the communication. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and that's one of those things that, uh, you know, the success of a good defensive structure isn't just about having your best uh, defenseman. It's also having defensemen that are able to communicate effectively with the goaltender and, you know, not just defensemen, but forwards as well. Um, as they, we all know, they, they form a part of, you know, the co- to- complete team structure defensively. And uh, it's one of the things mm-hmm. that I've learned, like uh, I grew up playing soccer. So my background um, as a soccer goalie, and even at some point I also played center defense and striker communication is always key on the field. You're always talking about making runs in certain diagonal angles. Uh, you're always talking about, okay, who's got who, where you're marking. Uh, yep. you're, th- you're thinking about zones. You're thinking about uh, who are the players that you're playing against what what kind of a shot do they have like as a goaltender both in soccer and hockey i'm thinking about what foot is the person who's about to kick the ball uh, is he is he left footed is he right footed with hockey same thing is he a left shot is he a right shot because that all those little details those uh, as many as they are will determine what kind of a save selection you need to make not just in hockey, but in soccer as well. And so there's so much thinking that has to happen. And then you, on top of that, you have to think about the physical strain that goaltending is on a goaltender. Like you think about, you know, I was going to get that with Bobrovsky's technique and how much work and preparation goes into that and how diligent of a player he is not only on the ice, but off the ice. It dates all the way back to Roberto Luongo, where they're like, that guy's one of our best conditioned athletes. That guy puts in so much work. That's what we have with Bobrovsky now. Absolutely. And the thing about Bobrovsky, like Bobrovsky, as far as weight goes, he's not a heavier guy in any shape or form, but he is probably one of the most athletic and rubbery by rubbery. I mean, the guy just has a flexibility and ability to, do things that most humans aren't able to or shouldn't be able to do. Um, and all that has to do with his preparation because a goaltender can't just show up on the ice and just ex- be expected to stop pucks. There's so much preparation before the skates. There's so much preparation that's happening uh, throughout the week before games. Yep. Uh, and, and And the thing about Bob too is his intensity on the ice is something like, you could really see in different moments, whether when the team has just won a game or when the team uh, lets in a, a soft goal or whatever, you could, it's very evident, you know, just how important, you know, Bob looks at the mental side of things and just how volatile it can be when you have a goaltender who's so cerebral and he's so intense in, in, and doing stuff like I think you know one of the things about Bob is you know, I think he really put was hard on himself at first when he first got here um, having career lows and 
safe percentage when it comes to the combination of games played and and whatnot. Yeah, and he was uh, probably playing just, behind the worst defense he ever played behind either. Exactly. Exactly. And that right now, you know, what's interesting is and this is not something I realized until recently. Bob's save percentage and goals against average was actually lower last year than it was the year before that. And I would think a lot of that has to do with Bob struggled at the beginning of the season. And so did the team defensively. There was a lot of games that, uh, you know, I can remember a few of them. There was a game against uh, Columbus. There was a game against uh, uh, there's a few teams that, you know, just right off the top of my mind that the team just struggled defensively to where, you know, the stats didn't show the greatness that Bob showed later on the season into the playoffs and the inevitable Stanley cup run. And, uh, and what's interesting now is that I, I feel like he really has continued the form that he had. And he said so himself, like when they uh, interviewed him, he mentioned that he learned more in this season that, that just happened than he had his entire career. And that says a lot because this guy has been in the league for a long time. And uh, mm-hmm. his just ability to you know overcome all the adversity that, I mean, mind you, he was benched essentially for Alex Lyon in the beginning of the Boston series. Uh, 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 John, on our post-game shows, and you've been in those a lot, and Cody was my main co-host last year, how many times people were writing Bob off? Uh, I was one of yeah. the guys that said you should start him um, and go to Lyon later in that Boston series if you have to because, you know, even though Lyon's not a young guy, he's 29, 30 years old, he was the young guy in a sense that he didn't have the experience. And it's like, you go with the veteran in Bob. A lot of people are like, no, yeah. no, you, I, I don't trust him right now. He's coming back from injury. I don't know what he's going to give well, us. See, so many it, fans even, have discounted yeah, him and not trust him over this. And I don't know if that's due yeah, to the contract. I, I don't know if it's that they're not seeing the goals that are going in, Cody, that have been the fault of the defense in the past, not just Bob's fault, but also Bob's playing better as well too. And there's some accountability there, Cody. Yeah, and I mean, Bob, like... Like Bob deleted social media after his first season in Florida, where like he decided he needed like a mental reset because his the first season that whole season was just a roller coaster. I mean, just full of inconsistencies. We would win five and lose six, win three, lose two, like, and then we can't like. But I remember like in the back half of that year, Chris Drieger took over the starting role because remember and and another key part of that is Bobrovsky was a healthy scratch he was in the press box in the in his second year with Q in that Tampa series we went to six games it was Bob started the first game then Drieger started and then Knight came in right Bobrovsky was in the press box it went game one Bob then game two I think we went to Drieger and and then we game three we stuck with him but he got lit up and then we went back to Bob and we yeah. won that game in OT game four we got lit up again and then that and then game five that's when night came in like yeah the the thing about the thing about Bob and you mentioned how yeah he had a mental reset um, there's actually some insight there because uh, really there was an issue that he was dealing with and it's just the reality of that pro athletes all end up in this situation where when they're struggling, it's really hard to get out of that rut. And it takes a lot 
lot of tenacity for you to believe in yourself again. And I think that really with what Paul Maurice was able to accomplish, him being the grizzled veteran coach that he is, was somehow able to accomplish uh, re- like resetting the confidence that Bob had. And honestly, like even with last year's, the beginning of last year's, I truly think that Bob not starting the series against Boston was more about honoring Alex Lyon and what he had done. Because truly, I don't think Florida gets into the playoffs if it wasn't for that run that Alex Lyon went on. And, and it's more of a, if you, if you were to go with Bob and it didn't go well, I think you're doing more harm to the team than by giving Lyon his shot because I really think he deserved it. Now, evidently, they ended up going to Bob and that ended up being the right choice. But like, imagine if they had gone to Bob and then now you're in a situation where you're down one or two games, depending, assuming that he didn't come back and win those games. Right. But uh, it's again, the goaltending position is just so cerebral. And when you think about just how much those guys put themselves through and then, you know, you go through the games that like we saw later in the playoffs that, what was it? Was it a three overtime game or four overtime yeah, the game? Four overtime the, the game. Hurricanes. Yeah, and I mean, like that—that that that game alone tell, tells you just how much mental tenacity it takes for a goaltender. Because I mean, dude, the guy. Played yeah, we're not talking to... about the defense, or we're not talking about Matthew Kachuk if he doesn't make a save here or there. You know, absolutely. And there was plenty of those. There was plenty of those. And I, and really, like by the time the Panthers won that series like uh, part of the reason I, I don't think they lost to vegas because of goaltending in any shape or form i no, think it's that, just bob, like, it's just bob became I, human I, and there's other I, reasons I, there. yeah. and it was just depth it was depth like their team was so much deeper i mean part of that you can thank to having mark stone on ltir and them being having the cap space <laughs> to you know to do what they did with uh barbashev and 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 truly like you know, you want to hate the game and hate the hate the moves that they made and everything. But at the end of the day, any GM in that position with the star like Mark Stone going down is going to do the same thing. So, like, at, at some point, you know, it, it's one of those things. Yeah, you know, you can criticize what they did. But the reality is the game is won in a team in a team fashion. Like, if you don't have the depth and truly that Vegas team, there wasn't a – I don't think any team was going to, you know – do make a dent in that team that team was a wagon towards hey. by the time it came to yeah i don't the, i don't buy all the injuries the and we would have had them and all that i, I never bought um, that. Nick? Yep. i also wanted to just talk about one other thing a lot of people talk about the playoffs last year i think bobrovsky's been our best player in the playoffs each of the last two seasons he was excellent in the 21 22 playoffs the series against washington and tampa yep. um he was really good really solid and then last year is obviously exceptional but another Part where I don't think a lot of people, this guy's, what is he, 35 years old, and he's third in the NHL, in, or excuse me, fourth in the NHL in games started. He's third in the NHL in wins. He's ahead of guys in in terms of starts and wins. He's ahead of Connor Hellebuck. He's ahead of Igor Shesterkin. He's ahead of Ottinger. He's ahead of Sorokin. Now, obviously, there's injuries to some of these guys and whatever, not whatsoever, but I think the main thing we could talk about here is how much of a workhorse he has been. And obviously, Anthony Stolarz, he's been terrific, not taking away anything away from him. But Bobrovsky, we've really had to lean on him this season. And 
no matter how many games in a row he started, um, he has been tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other thing with Stolarz is I really think that Stolarz was good in Anaheim, but when he got here, him have him being around Bob really has benefited his game. And you can see it. And I think in a certain sense, Bob's game also hugely benefited Alex Lyon just because of the things that Bob does well that really I don't think anybody does it as well as him, such as the skating ability, the ability to uh, recover uh, when, you know, things go south. The other thing is uh, just the ability to stay calm in a pressure situation. I mean, Stolarz, I think the first couple starts was – a little shaky in, 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 with some of those elements. But Chicago game there, the yep, Islander game. Yep, yep. And uh, I think he's uh, he's really come around, you know. And and, and the ever one since thing the about... Anaheim game at home, I think he's been. Well, that was his yeah. last bad game. I mean, he he's like his last couple, like Philly. He just got left out the dry. Mm-hmm. But like he's been great, and like like back and like we. <laughs> we can't we're not as high in the standings as if we are without Stolars. And I mean I don't think people like being a backup goaltender is so crucial, especially today's NHL. Yep. You're not seeing I, the workhorse goalies anymore. They're playing I mean, seventy five games and there's like one this year, and it's Alexander Giori giving Colorado, but that's just due to the fact that their backup is legitimately almost unplayable because they lost Pavel Francois at the beginning of the year. He's done for the year, and he's played. yeah. They had a, and they had a backup that they put, let go on waivers, I believe, as well. Yeah, and then we and remember when we played them in Denver, we played against that same backup of Provetsov, and we lit him up like a Christmas tree. And Georgiev had to come in. I mean, Georgiev, uh, the Colorado Avalanche have played fifty-eight games. Georgiev's appeared in forty-seven of them. Forty-seven. Like, yeah, you don't see yeah, that that's, too often. That's, that's 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 insane. Like goaltender burnout, uh, like a huge thing, and Stolarz has been the perfect backup. And I mean, he's the best goalie in the NHL on the road, which is crazy to even say. But the stats don't lie. Yeah, the the other thing about Stolarz is his height and just his overall size. This guy. I mean, his butterfly flair. So when he drops down to his butterfly, his 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 pad wingspan is basically post to post without even trying. Like it's insane just how big the guy is. And then when you're in front, so like some some of the times that I've uh, sung the anthem, uh, like as he's walking out, you know, I get to see the players come out and whatnot. As he's walking out, you just get a picture of just how big the guy is he's just absolutely massive a massive human being and when you're on when you're on the ice and cody and nick you guys and 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 kirby you guys will know better because i'm assuming you guys played on the ice uh uh, enough to know that when you have a goalie who's just outright huge and you gotta take shots on a guy like the the net seems a heck of a lot smaller with a guy that size. Yeah, yeah I play goalie. I play goalie where the other goalie, and I'm a six foot one. I'm a pretty decent sized guy. They just look like 
they've got body armor on and I'm like out there with barely nothing. I'm sometimes wearing a guy's equipment that's five foot eight or five foot 10 and just putting that gear on, you know, and it's like, they're just, there's no room to see on And some of those guys are six, three or six, five. And it's like, you can imagine what you have to shoot at, right? I don't have to block as many shots when the tall goalie's behind me. Exactly. (laughs) You you know, the other thing is I'd be curious. And again, I can't uh, quantify it just off of, you know, off the top of my head, but, I'd be curious to know or look at an analysis of Stolarz's depth on shots at the beginning of the season versus what it is currently. Because I did notice the last game he played, he was coming out pretty uh, pretty far out from where he normally is. Because yeah. think about he gets caught in the tenders. net though, John, where he his pads yeah. inside the net and yeah. there's sloppy technique that I can see with my own like naked eye yeah. versus when Bobrovsky's in net, he's very precise with those movements. And when Bobrovsky's off, you notice it, but he's oh, usually yeah. on. He's usually and on. Usually right? when Stolarz a little all over off, the place. And yeah. that's where some fans are kind of critical of Stolarz. Yeah. He swims in the net, the pads inside the net, he's deep in the net. That's not by design, like a goalie, like Hendrick Lundqvist, that's kind of him losing his net and, losing his angles and things like that. And that's why that's the difference between a starting goaltender and a backup goaltender. Yeah. Things and like and the thing about Bob is like one of, one of his biggest traits is just how far he comes out. His, his, the way he's able to take away shots, his push, just come out, come out like way in front on, on the top of the crease and sometimes beyond that. And uh, Stolarz, I felt like at the beginning, he was playing a little too deep, which is part of the reason why he, he'd end up swimming in front of his own net and whatnot. Get beat uh, by bad, some bad angle shots. Yeah, but you know, I don't like guys. The amount of cardio and just sheer willpower that you have to have to be, instead of just getting down to your butterfly, to actually get up and skate as far out front of the crease as you can to pretty much take away any sh- shot at the goal at, at at the shot from going into the goal. Like it, it takes so much to do that. And these guys just do it so effortlessly. I, I will say though, because of Stolarz's size and weight and whatnot, you can tell, especially towards like middle to end of third periods, when he has to come down and get back up, like you could see he's laboring a bit. And and with Bobrovsky too, same thing. Like you, you know when he's off, it's because he's fatigued and and I tell you, goaltender fatigue, it's its a real deal. And and the reality is we're going to have to rely on Stolarz for plenty, at least another 30 to 40% of the games remaining uh, in the regular season just to keep Bob fresh enough to where he's not fatigued come playoff time and sharp enough to where he's going to be on his game at its highest point. Yep. Some of the back-to-backs and other starts as well, Cody. But anything in closing on the goaltender I, but position here? I, I have a little trivia question for you guys to show how far the Panthers have come in the goaltending department, eh? All right. So we can all agree that the dark years for the Panthers of this decade were in back-to-back seasons, 2012-13, 2013-14. Can we agree on that? Where sure. we had Where we had a combined... Yes. Let's One see. of the many dark years. In my opinion. Me and John have many. <laughs> we we had a listen. I don't think you're as dark as these ones because we had a combined. Oh, uh, okay. Alex, 40, old anyone? Forty-four wins in two years, and that is as a team. Forty-four wins. 
Jeez. I want you Jeez. to name me. There's two questions. To this there have been there were six goalies that started for the Panthers in this in this timeline. Name me the top three in wins and all six that have played. Nick, the top three. I'm horrible on you. I I got a couple. Jose Theodore. That um, is Scott one. Clement Scott Clemenson. That is two. Um, is this Jacob Dan Ellis? Is this Dan Ellis era? That is three. Okay, Jacob Markstrom. That is four. Okay, now this is gonna get a little. I, I like want to say guy, Tim, Tim Thomas, Thomas was yeah. Tim, Tim Thomas. Thomas yeah, Tim Thomas is, is five. Who is the last one? And this is 2013, 2014. I'm this trying is to from, think who this is Thomas from 2012 to 2014. A Finnish goaltender? No. Was that no? That wasn't him. Ah. <laughs> uh. Oh, 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 oh. Harry Sateri? Incorrect. That's why I said finish uh, goalie. That's what I was thinking. Harry Sateri was with I'm the trying New to think, Jersey. Was he was this guy in 2013-14? Yes. This is this uh I, Michael I, Michael Hutchinson I, I was after that, I think. Yes, believe. Hutchinson was after. You guys Okay. You guys well, Luongo, right? Incorrect. Luongo. I'm surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always miss the obvious. I was about to say, wait a minute. Like <laughs> well, who were the top Jeez. three in wins? Well, I'm gonna go with. Oh my gosh, we didn't win very much. So um, Tim Thomas, maybe he Tim Thomas first, would have to be. He is yeah, first that, that with sixteen. Yeah. Okay. Is Luongo third? Incorrect. Luongo's not even in the top three. Okay. Well, then it's wow. Jose Theodore, right? Incorrect. Jose Theodore's not in the top three. I don't think Markstrom got enough wins, did he? I don't. Markstrom is, then? Markstrom is second. Wow. What? That we were bad. Is it yeah, Clemenson then? Yeah, Clemenson's third. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's that. Yeah, and and you're right. That that really is a dark year. Clemenson gave me some uh, scary moments, like and some fans. Kirby, you don't. Kirby, you don't miss question. Kirby, you don't miss those red pads. <laughs> no, I, I don't think he had remember, the best. Goals, remember when so. he got to Dallas and no. had the red mask with the green jersey and oh the red pads? Oh my gosh. The greatest oh, goalie setup of all time, in my opinion. Yeah, I was throwing even Clements in. And I have a. And here's a good question. Dan Ellis started five games, played in six. Could you guys give me a guess on what you think his save percentage was? Yeah, it was like I don't know, seventy-eight. I would say sub sub eight hundred. I'm gonna go eight thirty-seven. Nick is the closest. Point one off, eight thirty-six. Oh my gosh, better, better than I thought. Oh. And yeah, that was a short experiment, just like Michael Hutchinson, a couple other guys in that mix yeah, later on. That's the year we had like TJ Brennan and all those other guys. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And and I mean I'll give it last question. Who led the who led that team? Who was fourth on that team in points? Because Bukestad led with 38. Sean Mathias. Oh my good. Wait a minute. Time out. Time out. Scotty Upshaw. Bukestad. Listen, okay, for those Panther fans listening. Say that again, Cody. Who is who is fourth in points? Bukestad led with thirty-eight I know, points. I know. Bukestad one... led with thirty-eight uh, uh, points. Kachuk had that in a month, and I know. I know one guy. Insanity. Jimmy Hayes is one of my guesses. Incorrect. I'll give you this hint. This guy was known for one thing, and when he did this one thing, Goldie made sure to re- remind us he was good at this one thing. Oh, boy. Think St. Louis Blues. Oh. St. Louis Blues. 
Wait, did you say boys? I did, yes. You you would be correct. Brad Boys. Yeah. 30... Is it the shootout? The five holes? Yes, the shootout. Oh, figures. At the time he was with the Panthers, he led, he was like first in NHL history in like shootout goals. Brad or... Boys moved around a bit. He might not have moved around <laughs> as uh, Mike Sillinger or some other players from the past, yep. former Panther as well, but yep. yeah, he moved and around. Just, and just to name some other guys that played for the Panthers, Ryan Whitney. Uh, yeah. Scott Gomez. That's yeah, that's crazy. Wasn't I Tom Gilbert Gomez on that team? Yes, and my favorite player of all time, Jesse Winchester. Oh my gosh, <laughs> dude! So, so that's for ridiculous. those of you who are upset about a Carolina loss, yeah, I could bring on uh, uh from our spaces communities, Johnny Films, uh, Alejandro. We'll we'll go back even to the to the two thousands there, John. <laughs> Early, yeah. early two thousands, you know, and then no early two. Actually, I have a oh, I have a story yeah. about the early two thousands. There was a game that occurred, which I think has even to this day has been tattooed in my brain in a certain sense as <laughs> trauma. Uh, and this was a game that, mind you, growing up, I didn't have cable at home, so the way I would listen, uh, the way I would watch games was really not watch them. I would listen to them on my little portable radio. In my room, kind of like uh, without my parents knowing that I was still awake. Uh, but it was a game that happened January 11th, 2003 against the Washington Capitals. A game that ended 12-2 to Capitals over the Panthers. Hey, I remember being... Oh, no, no, we didn't get shut out. You know, big whoop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was actually funny fact. It was at one of the. It was tied for Yager's best point total in a single game. Um, he scored seven points total, three goals and four assists in that game. But that game specifically has just always been. I, I've never been able to let go of it. As a matter of fact, I even spent hours recently trying to find yep. <laughs> game film of that game which i can't find some fights and some other parts yeah it was one of the oh, crazier games oh. but i remember like hearing over and over and over again the washington capitals goal siren or horn or whatever yep. it was just it was yep. so ingrained in my brain but what's the funny story recently um i had uh i had actually had a chance to uh skate in a kind of a, a, an alumni and Joe Schmo type of skate where, you know, you got to play with alumni or whatever. And I asked this question is one of the guys who was there was Stefan Mateau. Now, do any of you guys ever remember Stefan Mateau playing for the Panthers at any point? I just point? remember him scoring for the Rangers. Yeah. I even yeah. told John that I don't really have major yeah. recollection. So in 03, in 03, this was last, this is the last year of Stefan Mateau's uh, career. And he p- did it with the Panthers. Uh, Mateau was at the skate and I happened to ask him about this very game. And he was like, he, he looks at me, points at me and says, you know, funny, you should mention that game. He said, Mike Keenan, who was our coach back then told Mateau pretty much to stay home that he wasn't going to go on the trip. And actually he got option to San Antonio and he basically said, you know what? Uh, you're just going to stay home or whatever. And so he did that. Then the game happens. The Panthers lose 12 to 2. Mateau didn't even watch the game, he said. And then he tells me that he texted Luongo the next day. He's like, hey, man, how did it go? How, how was the game? 
And Luongo didn't even respond to the text because, like, mind you, this was a game that was supposed to be a scheduled rest day for uh, for Roberto Luongo, and his backup started. Can any of you guys guess the name of the backup goaltender for Luongo in this game? Oh, I don't know. Jamie McLennan was one of his backups, but then I don't know. And mind you, this is over. Alex Ong. This was after. This no, was he was after, not with Luongo. Uh, no, this was after uh, Trevor Kidd had already left. I don't know. There's Mike Vernon, Sean Burke. Uh, so Steve Shields? The, nope. Uh, give me, the, the name of this guy. Give me. I'll get. I'll give you. I'll give you another couple guesses. Uh, he is a Finnish goaltender, but he's not the one that I mentioned earlier. Oh, I know this. Yanni uh, Hermy. Yanni Hermy. There you go. Yanni oh. Hermy. Oh. He had, I think it was like eight total goals against, and the rest, you know, Luongo for coming on in relief, not exactly terrible on letting go for. <laughs> That's the well, type of game but, you don't even yeah, eat dinner afterwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, at that point, leave the, like, force the team to, like, drive back or go, go back home on a bus as opposed to on a plane, right? But no, that was just, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, like, anytime I see, you know, and for all the newer fans out there, like, this is the kind of game. That was very typical for the Panthers to experience, especially in that season. Now, mind you, not every game was 12-2, but this is one of those games that, honestly, whenever you look at a team, uh, when you look at our team now and, you know, yeah, we lose here and there, it'll never be this, at least not for the next yes. four or five not years. for the foreseeable We'll future, never right? experience. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we experienced it somewhat President Trophy year when we lost against the, the Canadians, yeah. but let's be real, guys. Yeah. Like, Everything uh, was yeah. in the bag. There was yeah. no yeah. reason to play that game, to be honest. Yeah. I but mean, at least jo- we're resting jo- our guys then. John, exactly. You led me into our last segment here very quickly. Uh, great segue. We never planned it this way. Um, our trade deadline targets, we gave a few last podcasts. I'm just going to give mine really quickly here, and if everyone can give theirs quickly. Um, uh, current Washington Capital, so kind of ties into John's segment there. Anthony Mantha has emerged at the top of my trade deadline board. Mantha, right winger, is a big body presence. I like that. Five, 234, who I feel would be an ideal fit on the third line. Uh, with Itu and Anton Lundell, a powerful north-south drive-the-net winger with nice finishing abilities. He's had uh, he's getting close to 20 goals this season here. He's had two prior seasons at 20-plus goals, and 16 of his first 17 goals this year were 5v5 goals so that's something that nick talked about earlier those 5v5 goals uh being very crucial and important to the panthers let's go around the horn here guys just give me your guy quickly 30 45 seconds whoever wants to go next i'll go last john nick whoever wants to jump in john go ahead, nick, go I'll go right after. Oh, yeah all right. i'll go i'll go i'll go i'll go either way right, perfect it's fine no uh the the one thing you know i agree with you uh kirby we need some size Whoever we get on the trade deadline, we uh, they need to have size. Uh, I think one of the things we've seen over the years is the teams with size usually do pretty well in the playoffs, uh, i.e. Vegas, i.e. Tampa Bay. So yep. if I had to specifically you know, pick, I would say somebody of the likes of uh, Adam Henrique, uh, and who you know brings that. He's the center. He's a versatile player. Yeah, some uh, and Zito there. seems to Zito seems to like those types of guys that you could play multiple positions, multiple places. Yeah. Uh, so like a guy like Adam Henrique seems just like an obvious fit. For sure. Uh, Nick. Sounds good. Thank you, John. Uh, so I know 
Um, there's reports going around saying this guy's going to resign. I don't care. I will not stop pounding the table for this guy until a either the trade deadline is passed, he is traded to another team, or he is resigned. I want Nick Sealer, um, six two six three, the relatively big defenseman. You've he given le- us this name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Leads the league in block yes. shots. And oh I'm goodness. not going to stop with it. We, oh. need, we just talked about I, it. Kirby. I need another write-up from you other than Nick Sealer. Okay. okay. If, you want, if you want a forward from me, I'll go Anthony Duclair. Shouldn't cost too much in terms of asset-wise or cap-wise with the trade deadline cap space. Um, yep. We're familiar with him. And um, again, could just fit right, right into the top nine. And uh, yep. a guy we're already familiar yep. with. And yep has that playoff experience that we gained last year. So we got to talk about him next yeah. time with the yeah. contract situation yeah. and all and, that Cody, where he's already been traded from the Panthers. Yeah. And yeah, like I was, yeah. But uh, yeah. for my guy, Panther fans, this name's going to be a little bit of shock to you. You're talking about size. You're talking about cup winning skill or not cup winning experience. My, I'm sorry, but this guy, when you're talking about size is his main strength. This and heck, John's probably going to groan when I say this, but this guy scored the goal back-to-back years to end our season. Ooh. Give me Mr. Pat Maroon. <laughs> you know what? I like that. I really do. You imagine Pat Maroon on this team? Holy moly. Him and Montour would have to get up because Montour called a fat Pat about 13 times. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna send a video of that later to someone that was uh, requesting it, actually. So it's funny that you said that. But, uh, guys, thank you for all of that today here. Um, those trade targets. We'll make sure to do some on our next episode. We're going to have a special guest probably for episode four or five as well to talk a little bit more of the trade deadline. But, John, I just want to... Thank you for your time here with us this evening. And again, everyone can follow you at John Acosta Music on Instagram and Twitter X, right? Yes, that is correct. John, correct. The, the best anthem Acosta singer in the music. game. Any one of my uh, handles. Best anthem singer in the game, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, And you're going to hear uh, John's voice at the top of this episode and his music on the way out. So again, I just want to thank everyone for giving us the thumbs up, five-star ratings, all the shares, likes, and uh, around social media. I really appreciate it. We appreciate it. And again, um, we're trying to bring you that best coverage that we can leading up to the trade deadline here, leading up to the playoffs and everything like that. So uh, as we always, as we go out here, um, let's go Panthers.